everyone how's it going it is just before three o'clock in the afternoon here on tuesday september 8th this is of course the 16th episode of our news roundup and this will be going for last week from august 30th until september 5th so before we get started of course this is sponsored by mission essential gear your one-stop combat shop home of the thules the tactical handbook for unit leaders that's available at megearco.com and amazon as well thank you all for joining us today i really appreciate the support from everybody you know like share subscribe rate whatever you could do on the platform you're listening on that's awesome you could find this podcast anywhere you listen to podcasts spotify apple Podcasts, google uh, speaker breaker anchor anywhere you listen to podcasts it's there so yeah again appreciate all the support and we'll get started Alright, so of course we're going to start off with our COVID-19 numbers and news for the week. Week began with 25 million cases, 843,000 deaths, and 16 million recoveries. Week ended with 26 million cases, 879,000 deaths, and 17 million recoveries. And of course, those are global numbers. On the 31st, the British-Swedish pharmaceutical company AstraZeneca began its Phase 3 clinical trials of its potential vaccine. The trial will test some 30,000 adults here in the U.S. On the 31st as well, American vaccine development company Novavax signed a deal to provide Canada with 76 million doses of its vaccine. Next day on the 1st, Florida cut ties with the company Quest Diagnostics after the company failed to report on nearly 75,000 COVID test results going as far back as April. This includes 3,870 positive cases at least. On the 3rd, the Pentagon announced that the U.S. military selected five new sites for AstraZeneca's Phase 3 trial. Military medical centers in California, Texas, Maryland, and Virginia will be utilized for the test. On the 4th, a small study showed that Russia's Sputnik V vaccine produced an antibody response with no serious side effects. According to Health Minister Mikhail Murishto, the vaccine will be produced in November or December. So far, Russia and Belarus are the only two nations that will officially receive the vaccine. On to the Pacific. On the 4th of September, it was reported that the island nation Palu has urged the U.S. to build a joint-use military facility in the country. This is seen as a move to counter Chinese influence in the Pacific. President Tommy Remengasso Jr. made the request in a letter to the U.S. Secretary of Defense Mark Esper, who visited Palu last week. The president also suggested that a U.S. Coast Guard contingent be stationed in the nation to patrol its maritime reserve. While Palu is an independent nation, it has no military and the U.S. is responsible for its defense under the Compact of Free Association. Under this agreement, the U.S. has access to the islands, but that access has been underutilized for the duration of the agreement. Moving on to the Americas, on the second Omar Kuzu, a 23-year-old U.S. citizen, pled guilty to conspiring to provide material support to terrorism. On October 16, 2014, Omar and his brother Youssef left their Texas home to travel to Syria to join, train, and fight with ISIS. Kuzu said his parents 
thought they were going on a camping trip near Houston, the brothers actually first went to Istanbul, where they were smuggled into Syria. After staying in a number of, quote, waiting houses, they found themselves in Mosul, Iraq. After five days of training with around 40 other foreign fighters, Kuzu was sent back to Syria, where he worked at the ISIS Telecommunications Directorate in Raqqa, the then capital of the caliphate in Syria. He also supported ISIS fighters during the battles of Kobani and Hama, providing communications to fighters on the front lines. He was captured by the Syrian Democratic Forces along with 1,500 other ISIS fighters back in March 2019 and was handed over to the FBI at that point. He may face up to 20 years in federal prison. His sentencing will be held on January 22, 2021. Moving on to Europe. Start off with Belarus. On the 30th, unrest is still continuing due to the recent disputed presidential election in Belarus. Uh, BMP-2 infantry fighting vehicles were seen entering the capital of Minsk, and those are armed with 30mm autocannons, an anti-tank guided missile system, and a 7.62mm machine gun. This is likely seen as a move by President Alexander Lukashenko's administration to scare the demonstrators. This is something throughout history we've seen a lot, especially in communist or post-communist countries. A lot, of, a lot of this stuff happens in the Eastern Bloc, right? This also happened in China, of course. Think Tiananmen Square, um, you know, but not, not to that level yet. Of course, Tiananmen Square was much more violent than what's going on in Belarus. It just has that potential. On the first, at least 100,000 protesters went out to demonstrate in Minsk alone. So, yeah, these protest movements aren't slowing down at all. If anything, they're actually getting bigger. On the fourth, opposition leader Svetlana, you guys are going to have to bear with me on this, Tink, Tinkanusakaya called for the UN Security Council to stop human rights abuses in Belarus. Spoiler alert, that's not going to happen because Russia and China are both five, I'm sorry, two of the five permanent members on the UN Security Council, and they have an absolute veto power. Russia, of course, supports Belarus because that's their buffer to NATO, pretty much. And then China supports Belarus, too, because China is an authoritarian country, right? On the fifth, opposition activist Olga Kolovakova fled to Poland after being forced to leave the country by authorities. Kovacola was recently arrested and served 10 days in prison for demonstrating. Authorities warned her that her arrest would continue indefinitely if she did not leave the country. And moving on to France real quick. On the 30th, a French Army Lieutenant Colonel was placed under investigation by the government over a, quote, security breach. The Russian-speaking officer is suspected of supplying Russian agents with sensitive documents while being stationed at a NATO base in Italy. The officer was seen speaking with a known agent of Russia's military intelligence service, the GRU, while on assignment in Italy. This comes after two former members of France's foreign intelligence service were sentenced on July 10th for selling secrets to Chinese agents, right? So this is obviously a big issue with the French... Uh, intelligence defense network, right? This is something they got to figure out because this is happening way too often. Also on the 30th, moving to Turkey, Turkey demanded that Greece withdraws forces from the island of Castel Castellorizo. Bear with me a bit. 
saying that Greece violated the 1947 peace treaty that was signed between Italy and the Allies after the end of the Second World War. The treaty called for the once Italian-occupied island to be demilitarized. Greece claims that the contingent of troops there are part of a routine rotation of troops. The Greek island lies less than one mile off the southern coast of Turkey, and this comes as tensions between the two NATO nations are extremely high. Moving on to Kosovo and Serbia, on the 4th, the two nations announced that they will normalize economic ties, and they will also improve relations with Israel. Both countries will move their embassies to Jerusalem, making Kosovo the first Muslim-majority nation to do so. As of right now, the only nations that have their embassies in Jerusalem are the U.S. and Guatemala. This comes weeks after Israel and the UAE normalized relations, a big step for a potential peace in the Middle East. So things are moving in the right direction. We'll see. Yeah, we'll see what's going to happen in the near future. But with that being said, we'll take a quick break and then we'll move on to Asia, the Middle East, and Africa, and we'll finish it off from there. All right, and we're back moving on to Asia, more specifically uh, the India-China border. Talks between the two countries have been inconclusive so far. Bases on both sides of the line of actual control have been placed on an alert status. The Indian Air Force is expanding its surveillance along the border, and the Chinese Air Force has increased activity in uh, eastern Ladakh, and main battle tanks have been deployed within firing range of each other on both sides of the border as well. The U.S. Department of State is closely monitoring the incident and hopes for a, quote, peaceful resolution. On the 29th, and this is late reporting, a clash in the Ladakh area of the contested border between India and China broke out after Chinese forces attempted to move on Indian territory. The Indian military moved quickly to establish positions that made the PLA positions untenable. Around 500 Chinese troops attempted to cross into a narrow valley, which is followed by nearly three hours of hand-to-hand -hand combat. And that is something we've seen a lot of in the past couple months. On the 31st, India retaliated by sending a special forces unit known as the Special Frontier Force to capture a strategically important post of the PLA. The SFF, otherwise known as the Vigas Battalions, is a covert force made up almost entirely of ethnic Tibetans. The unit is not part of the Indian military as it falls under the cabinet sectariat and answers directly to the Prime Minister of India. The unit was formed in 1962 and was trained by the CIA, which had been training Tibetan guerrillas since the 1950s and may still be doing so now. Company leader Namaya Tenzin of the SFF was killed by a landmine during that operation to take the PLA post, and he is the first Indian soldier to be killed since that clash that happened, I believe, in June when around 20 Indian soldiers were killed. So. Um, obviously, things are ramping up between the two countries. Um, on the second, Indian Army Chief General M.M. Navarin arrived in Ladakh to examine the situation on the ground, right? And both sides are still holding talks. They're still clashing with each other. There's been live fire reported on the border for the first time in about 45 years. 
So this is a situation that is not going to slow down anytime soon. Moving on to the third in Russia, multiple vessels from the Russian Pacific Fleet's 19th Submarine Brigade and the 165th Surface Ship Brigade were damaged after Typhoon Mesak caused a floating dock to ram into the ships. After reviewing videos of the incident on social media, it appears that the dock slammed into Project 12411 Molina-class missile ships. The Molina class is still going through trial phases, and this incident could prove to be a big setback for the Russian Navy, which has already seen significant setbacks in recent years, mostly due to human error events. And moving on to North Korea, on the 6th, North Korean leader Kim Jong-un chaired a party meeting to discuss recent damage done to the country by typhoons. This dispels any rumors of his death and incapacitation. It looks like Kim Jong-un is here to stay. Moving on to the Middle East, Israel and Gaza. On the 31st, with the help of Qatar and Egypt, a ceasefire was reached between Hamas and Israel after a month-long series of engagements along the Gaza Strip. And that ceasefire was broken by Hamas five days after it went into effect. In Syria on the 31st, according to the Syrian Observatory for Human Rights, Israeli airstrikes in Damascus killed seven pro-regime militants three soldiers of the Syrian Arab army, and a civilian woman. While the SOHR and the Syrian government blame Israel, Israel has not yet commented on the strikes. It is worth noting that the SOHR has made various inaccurate or plainly false reports in the past, so take everything you hear with a grain of salt. Moving on to Afghanistan, on the 1st, at least three members of the Afghan security forces were killed and five were wounded when Taliban gunmen stormed their compound in the city of Gardez in Paktia province. The attack ended with both gunmen being killed by security forces, and this comes a week after the Taliban attempted to assassinate the gover governor excuse me, of Paktia province, Mohammed Halim Fadai. Moving on to Saudi Arabia, on the 2nd, the country sentenced seven ISIS militants to death over their role in a 2014 mass shooting that killed eight Shia Muslims in the city of Al-Asha. Three other militants were given 25-year sentences. And we'll finish it off with Iran. On the 4th, the International Atomic Energy Agency, which is a UN agency, reported that Iran has stockpiled 4,641 pounds of enriched uranium, which violates the 660-pound limit under the Joint Compre Comprehensive excuse me, Plan of Action. This follows the U.S. withdrawal from the JCPOA in 2018 after accusing Iran of violating the agreement. Well, guess what? Looks like they did. And we'll finish it up with Africa. In Sudan, on the 31st, the Sudanese transitional government signed a peace deal with the Sudan Revolutionary Front, raising hopes that the nearly 19-year civil war known as the Darfur conflict may come to an end. The conflict has led to the deaths of an estimated 300,000 people, with many civilians and 235 UN peacekeepers among the dead. I believe is actually mostly civilians killed in this conflict, unfortunately. It also led to the displacement of as many as 3 million people and other atrocities over the year, up to and including ethnic cleansing. The deal grants self-rule to the states of Blue Nile, Southern Kordofan, and West Kordofan. 
Two main rebel groups have not yet signed the deal, the Sudan's People's Liberation Movement and the Sudan Liberation Movement Army. All eyes are now on the government and those two rebel groups to see if they could broker a peace deal and officially end this war. On the 3rd in Sudan, the SPLM, which we brought up just earlier, signed an agreement with the government to transition the nation into a secular, secular excuse me, state. Maybe this could pave the way for an official peace deal between the two parties. So it looks like we're making progress in Sudan with the transitional government. That's awesome. Um, that, that country has not seen peace for a long time. So, you know, hopefully they could get the ball rolling on this peace deal. In Somalia on the 5th, fighting between Al-Shabaab militants and armed civilians left 14 civilians and 16 militants dead in the area of Galmudug. The fighting broke out when fighters demanded that civilians hand over their weapons and livestock to the group, so then the civilians opened fire. I don't think this is something that happens that much. It's not something I that I've heard of happening. Um, but who knows, maybe this will be a trend in the future. Um, Al-Shabaab Al -Shabaab has, you know definitely faced a lot of pressure by the Somali government and and by the US military from our airstrikes right so maybe as we start to kill off more fighters of al-shabaab they start to become more desperate right and they try and uh take property from the civilians and the civilians start to fend for themselves you know this could be something we're going to see in the future moving on to cameroon on the second in far north cameroon Seven were killed and 14 were injured when a Boko Haram suicide bomber blew himself up at a camp for internally displaced peoples. According to the UN Refugee Agency, this is the second such attack in a month and violence in the far north has been ramping up due to Boko Haram's insurgency campaign. Moving on to Nigeria, on the third, Boko Haram killed 20 Nigerian soldiers in two separate attacks in the state of Borno. The ISIS-linked group has started explicitly targeting Nigerian soldiers as they start to face more pressure from uh, particularly Nigeria, but a lot of countries in that area, right? And also on the 3rd, in a separate incident, as part of Operation Barkane, two French soldiers were killed when their armored vehicle rolled over an IED in the Kadal region. A third soldier was injured. And we'll end here with Mali. On the 5th, as part of Operation Barkane, two Malian soldiers were killed in an ambush near Nara. Their convoy ran over mines and gunmen then opened fire on the soldiers. This is the third attack against Malian forces since a military coup deposed the former president on August 18th. And with that being said, that's all I got for you guys this week. Again, really appreciate all the support. You want to check out our blog. It's on emigearco.com. That's where we get into more detailed articles. It's myself and then my co-writer, Pat. Pat uh, did some time in the Marine Corps, and then he also did some time overseas contracting, and now he's currently in EMT, right? So he writes from a lot of perspectives that I personally cannot um, so it's awesome. It's awesome to, you know, have another writer and speak about something that I can't and provide more content to the blog, right? Looking at doing an interview with uh, him and one of his buddies here pretty soon, so stay tuned for that. Again, appreciate all the support. Like, share, subscribe, rate, whatever you could do on the platform you're listening on. Really appreciate it. And with that being said, we'll see you guys next week.